This is the 99 Black Podcast. Welcome to the 99 Black Podcast. My name is Wes, and this is Monday BS with Wes. I am so glad that you're here this morning. This is, I think, the third week that I have done this program. And it is fun to go through Scripture, but it's also challenging. And some things about Romans that I have found interesting is there is a theme. And the theme is the relationship between God and his people. That's one thing that I see. And so last week, we talked about who God is as we are in uh, going into chapter 2, but we ended with chapter 1. And who was God uh, in the second portion of Romans chapter 1? Well, he was the designer. And one thing that I said in the last episode was that that is a huge thing to me. It was so important that I got it tattooed on my body and staring at nature and seeing God's invisible qualities were one of the top reasons that I trusted in God, that God was real, and then it, then was able to explore my faith even further in that. So the second thing that we saw last week was that man desires to worship the created instead of the creator. And we see that a lot today still where uh, mankind worships the things that are in creation, but not the creator of the things in creation. And then the last thing that we talked about last week in this beautiful recap that, I'm, that I've gathered for you is sin. We talked about sin. Ooh, sin is a bad word. We can't say that. Nothing's a sin nowadays. We're not allowed to say that. But what we'll see is that sin exists, and it's explained in Romans uh, as several different things from sexuality to gossip and everything in between. And before we dive into chapter 2, I want to uh, remind you of chapter 1, verse 32, which is the last uh, last verse of chapter 1 to give some context as we dive in to a portion of Romans chapter 2. So thank you so much for being here for Monday BS. We're just a bunch of black sheep doing Bible study. This is a beautiful thing. And one thing I want you to know, we're halfway into the month of January. I hope you've been reading your Bible. I hope this is... Uh, challenge you somewhat, but if you haven't, if you've been kind of slack, well, today is your day, my friend. If you're listening to this or watching and you're saying, I kind of suck at reading my Bible, well, today's the day you start, and I hope I can help you. And one method that we're using for this program and that you should use, I highly suggest, in your personal study is the Discovery Bible Method. And it kind of goes something like this, where we summarize what we just read. Always helps me remember. Secondly, what stands out about the Scripture? Third, what does this passage say about God? And when I say God, I, mean, I could mean Jesus, I can mean the Holy Spirit, I can mean the Father, 
any of those. And what does this passage say about us, mankind? Okay? So, as we get ready to do that, we're going to be realizing some great things about what this scripture has to tell us. Now, this passage today is kind of in two sections. We see two themes, I think. And they are God's judgment and God's kindness. And uh, you might think that those two things don't go together very well. I actually think that they do uh, quite wonderfully. And we're going to see that in one of my favorite verses. Remind me to tell you what one of my favorite verses is when we get to it. You'll have to be paying really close attention if you're going to remind me. Yes, I know you can't actually remind me. But shout at your screen or shout at your radio wherever you're listening. So using the discovery method, looking for those things as we read, I want you to look for those things. And so let me read the end of chapter 31. I mean, (laughs) there's not 31 chapters in Romans. Let me, the verse 32 going out of chapter 1, a little word salad there, Uh, a messy salad though. It says that they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Do what things? What things is chapter 1 talking about? Well, it's talking about a whole list of sins. Now, people tend to hone in pretty strong, and rightfully so, I think, on the sexual portion of this uh, chapter where it talks about men with men and women with women. But that wasn't the only thing mentioned. Uh, it is sin, but we see lots of sins, and uh, it says that they know God's justice requires uh, that they deserve to, die be- deserve to die because of sin, and basically that's the theme of Scripture, is that sin brought death. When, it, when we're talking about Adam and Eve, what do they do? They sinned. Then what happened? They died. Now, some people try to trip you up and trick you and say, well, they didn't actually die. Well, yes, they did. They, they died spiritually, and then eventually they died physically, which was not going to be the case if they had not sinned. So sin brings about death, and that's what this is saying. And people know they're sinning, and they know it requires justice, but that justice brings about death. And it says that they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Now, last week I didn't really harp in or hone in on this, on this portion of Scripture, but I really did want to mention, think about what you do. Think about how you live as a believer. Do you cause other people to sin? Are you so entrenched in your sin that you cause other people to sin. And that's what this says here. Worse yet, not only do these people are their backstabbers and they hate God, they cause other people to sin. And then chapter 2 gets kicked off. And we're going to break it in about four sections, I think. So let's read the first three verses of, of chapter 2 and see if you can keep up and pay attention for what stands out. What does it say about God? What does it say about man? Verse 1. Of Romans 2. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. See, Paul's getting a little sassy with him. He's like, you think they're bad? You're just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. 
for you who judge others and do these do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Now, I think it's episode 38. I have a little board back here that reminds me of all our past episodes. Episode 38, we discussed don't judge. Only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. I've seen that so many times. I even I think I recollected in that episode about a woman I was behind in the grocery store and her tattoo said, Only God can judge me. Well, this passage is saying that God is going to judge. I don't want to be on the receiving end of you know what? I didn't take I didn't take good instruction. Microphone cord. I didn't take good instruction, so I'm just going to take God's judgment instead of, you know, you trying to enlighten me on what my sin is. Now, in that episode, we talked about the fact that there is right judgment. You know, we don't, you know, if you're sinning and I'm your brother, I am to point out your sin, but I can't do it if I got the log in my eye, all right? I have to make sure... I have cleared myself of sin, especially in that area, before I can point you and say, hey, you're doing this wrong. you got to clean yourself up. When I say clean yourself up, though, this is another misconception. Hey, I'm thinking about becoming a follower of Christ. i got to clean myself up first, though. No, the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit starts cleaning you up and makes you aware of your sin. And... When you realize your sin, you turn from it. That's called repentance. You turn from your sin. Then, once you turn from your sin, now I can point to my brother. Hey, you're sinning. Not, hey, look at you, you're sinning. And that's what these people are doing in Romans 2. And they condemn themselves because they're still participating and they're still continuing in their sin. So their judgment isn't right. And then it gets into God's you know, not only God's judgment, but the kindness of God. And that's the two things that I said that we see in this passage. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Now, this is where I was telling you to remind me. Uh, Verse 4 is really beautiful because in the midst of God's judgment, which is righteous and right, Sin deserves a penalty. The penalty is death, eternal death for unrepentant sinners. And there's that sounds like it's just bad news, but we've talked a lot about good news, right? The good news is Jesus can take away that sin. Also, the good news is that God is incredibly patient with people. If you look at the Old Testament, read Exodus, read Numbers, Deuteronomy, this whole story of the exodus of the Israelites, one of my favorite portions of scripture, where these fools are idiots, constantly screwing up, constantly disobeying God, constantly looking to go back into slavery. Verse 4 of Romans 2 says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? 
Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? Now, God is uh, extremely kind. So kind that he sent his son to die for you, that he did not let you just be stuck in your sin through, you know, the sin that you were born into and the sin that you participated, but he gave you a way out through Christ. And a lot of people don't talk about God's judgment of sin in the same breath as they talk about his kindness. No one wants an unfair judge. You go to court, you want your judge there to be just, right? But that doesn't mean that in his justice, he is unkind. Now, there are human judges that are both fair and just, but also unkind. And then I guess the other way, there, there's earthly judges that really aren't just. They fail at being a good judge. I think of all types of high courts and judges that I hear their decisions all the time. I'm like, that doesn't even sound just. So the title doesn't make them just. But where do we get our justice system from? Well, the one who is just, God, God the Father. He, he instills this. And his kindness leads us to repentance. So one thing I want you to take away from that is I kind of grew up with the mentality of grace was kind of an afterthought. And I don't think this was intentional, but it felt like there was never any grace. It felt like, oh, you sinned? Oh, you're going to go to hell unless you say, uh, God, forgive me right now. Now, <laughs> there's something to that, but I'm not for every literal sin. I'm saying for, hey, I, I, I sin in some capacity, and then I feel like because I sinned in that moment, if I died right then, I would go to hell. Well, are you a believer in Christ's uh, atonement for your sin? His atonement covers sin, past, present, and future. So you can't live in constant fear of, oh, I screwed up. Now, if you are an unrepentant sinner, then it's turn or, what they say back in the 90s, turn or burn. And there was this idea of, I'm going to scare you into heaven. I've never heard of a good relationship where you were scared to be there. Beauty and the Beast, what? The girl was scared to be there, and then she fell in love? That's not realistic, right? It's a fairy tale, and it's not even, not even slightly honest. There is no relationship that you love being in that you're scared to be there. So we don't evangelize with the main central theme being, if you don't turn from your sin... Uh, you're going to burn in hell. Um, that's, I mean, that's true. I think you mentioned that second. First, you say, <laughs> I could be wrong. I don't know. But I, I'm, I'm using it as the central theme. Basically, people treat God like, if I don't do this, I go to hell. And that's the, it's fire insurance. Guess what Connor always says? It's fire insurance, and that's what I'm trying to get at. So I should have just used those words earlier. The fire insurance 
of I'm just doing this so I don't go to hell instead of I actually love God. I love Christ, and I'm thankful for what, he, what he's done. His kindness leads me to repentance. I see that what Jesus has done for me, and it causes me to think about my sin. Now I'm scared of dying and going to hell that turns me from my sin. I'm sure that plays a part, right? Um, such a big deal, it might be hard not to. But that's not, that's not what we point to. First, we point to, look how kind God is. Yes, he's going to judge you, and you have a decision to make, but he has been kind. I hope that was clear. And then it goes into uh, some, some of the same things talking about his punishment. And let's jump to Romans uh, 2, verse 7, and I'm going to read what it has to say there. It says, He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, first the Jew, then the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, first the Jew, then the Gentile. All right, so God doesn't show favoritism. We're going to get into this Jew and Gentile thing, which is... We're going to hear a lot about this. Why? Why are you hearing so much about first the Jew, then the Gentile? Because this is a church that is divided in Rome, and they're Jews and they're Gentiles, and they're trying to figure out, how do we do this? All right, we've been Jews, and we've lived by this law, and now you're telling us there's this grace, uh, and all we have to do is have faith and trust in Christ's sacrifice. This is, it's hard for us to get out of this mold of, I'm used to following rules, and that's what makes me good. And then you got a group of the Gentiles who are like, uh, I don't know nothing about all this Jewish stuff. Sounds kind of crazy, but I am thankful that through their people, God made a way, and all I have to do is acknowledge my sin and trust in, in the Savior. And so you have these two groups of people who are trying to work with each other, so and God's saying, first the Jew, then the Gentile for punishment. First the Jew, then the Gentile for the reward. Uh, the Jew receives it first. That's their gift. It's been presented to them first. And then the Gentile second. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, but I want to read again. Um, let's see. I think it's verse 7. Yeah. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. What does it mean doing good? Well, doing doing good would be the opposite of doing bad, right? And so in verse 24 of chapter 1, God says that he abandoned the people to do whatever they pleased. Did you know that the satanic motto is do what thou wilt? So... If you're doing whatever you want to do, I'm going to do me, that's actually satanic. That's their whole motto. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And the opposite of that will be doing good and bringing glory to God. It says they keep on doing good. So, like, you're doing the opposite of all the behavior that was presented earlier. And God offers this. And he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. Do what thou wilt. That's a, that's a satanic saying, right? 
and they refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. All right? So you have two sides of this coin. You live for yourself or you live for God. And in that, you either are going to hate God's judgment or be thankful for his kindness. And I want to be part of the latter. And the last portion I'm going to read today, this is Romans 2, um, 12 through 16. And this is really great. This is a really great passage. It says, When the Gentiles sin, uh, they will be destroyed even though they never had God's written law. What's the written law? Well, I'm just going to give you one portion of it, the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to quote them, but I know don't kill, don't steal, don't have any other gods, keep the Sabbath, all these different things. Um, you know, They weren't given that law. When it said the Jew first and the Gentile, they were not given the law. The law was given to the Jews because the law is the mirror. It's also the leash. It keeps us restrained. It points out our sin. It condemns us because when we break it, we know we've broken the law. Jews were given that. The Gentiles were not. But the Jews who have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. So that's the kicker for the Jews. They had the law, and because they had knowledge of the law, that was what they were had to live by. They had to obey it. They were burdened by the law because they had to obey it. But verse 13 of Romans 3 says, For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. I have that highlighted. Now, how do we obey the law of God? Now, the law doesn't, it's not restricted to the Ten Commandments only. 613 Mosaic laws that I'm aware of. 613, that's a lot, right? Uh, you have, and they're breaking to all types of categories if you really break them apart, cleanliness and uh, how to approach the tabernacle and all these things that you'll see. And so what's being said here in Romans 3.13 is really profound because it says that merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It's obeying the law. So there are there's some type of right requirement of us, right? All relationships work require uh it's a it's a two party system here where both parties are contributing to this relationship. It's not just one does all the work and the other sits around and does nothing. And our obedience is the response. But some interesting notes about the law. It says in verse 14 that even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law by instinctively obeying it, even without have heard uh, without having heard it. Now that's pretty cool. God's law has been written on the hearts of the Gentiles, even though they haven't heard it, they know it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts. Either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. 
your conscience and your thoughts. That's not just an idea that you have in your head. That's the law of God, what we call the moral law. And there's this whole argument for the existence of God purely based off of the moral law that you and I have a common morality, a common agreement on right and wrong with minor differences and that if one of us breaks the moral law, we're both aware that it's wrong and some would break the law anyways. We both agree it's wrong to kill. It's wrong to murder, Should be more clear. It's wrong to murder. And if anyone in our group says it's good to murder, we know that something's wrong with them. Because God has written his moral law on our hearts, and there really is no way to explain the depth of the argument, how good it is for the moral argument for God's existence. Where does our morality come from? Well, it it doesn't come just from ourselves because obviously people would have different moral thoughts and moral ideas, but we all kind of seem to flow on the same trajectory, and that's the moral law. And verse 16 says, and this is the message I proclaim. After, After Paul is done talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and the judgment and the law, that we know but have disobeyed. Verse 16 says, And this is a message that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. See, God knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. You're not fooling God with a secret life. And so you may, on the outward do all of the right things. Your behavior may look exactly how it needs to look. You may go to church every Sunday. You may be the best. Oh, when somebody needs you to pray, I know how to pray. But see, God knows your secret life. He knows your thoughts. He knows what's going on internally. He knows what you're thinking and wanting to think and wanting to do and what you're wanting to act. And see, that can be either really good or really bad. Because as we talk about God's grace and kindness, and also his judgment, what what am I doing? My thoughts, are they going to be thoughts and, and actions that I'm like scared of God's judgment? Or that I'm really thankful for his kindness if I understand his grace? For me, I am thankful that even though God is a just judge, he's also kind. And what has he done for me that's kind? Well, he's, he's given me and you, if you choose to trust in it, the sacrifice of Christ that covers all sin, covers your past, present, and future sin, and that you're not going to be struck dead for sinning and go to hell if you are a repentant believer. Yes, we are people who sin. 
Now, if you're sinning intentionally, this is a whole other discussion. It would say you maybe you're not repentant. But we have good news that God's going to judge, but when we are covered by the blood of Christ, his judgment has been atoned for through Christ, and that is our good news. So, let's wrap this bad boy up for your Monday BS. What is a summary of this passage? Well, first, we see that God is going to judge. His anger and wrath will uh, come down on those who are unrepentant sinners. But he does offer kindness, and his kindness is calling you to repent. His kindness is calling you to repent. And it should lead you. Instead of fire insurance, it should be, I'm thankful for Christ, and I want to follow you. You ever have somebody that's so kind to you, and you just want to be like them? And that's what God has done for you. And what do we see that stands out? Well, for me, it was the kindness piece. And for you, I hope you see that too. That God is good. And I want someone ruling the universe and my life that is just and good. Those are great characteristics to follow. And I'm thankful that that is the, that is the essence of who God is. So what does it say about God? Once again, for me, the two things, that he is just and that he is kind. And lastly, what does it say about humanity? Well, it says we are fallen, we are broken, and we many times are far from God. But it does not have to be that way. All we have to do is turn from our sin and look to the cross Look to the work that was done on the cross by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I hope this morning, or whenever you're listening to this, that you are thankful and you realize that God's been good to you and that today would be the day that you would turn and give everything that you've been keeping from him over to him because God knows your secret life. And he is pleased to dwell with you if you'll have him today. Thanks so much for listening to Monday BS with Wes. We'll see you next week. <laughs>